But it's so good to see you, even though I can't see you. My name is Kelvin Crosby, the Deafline Potter. And I got an interesting interview for you. Because I'm going into this interview completely blind. Literally. And figuratively. This lady I met, and we immediately connected spiritually. As well, we realized we're going to go and change the world on a whole new way. So... I'm going to have you come on this journey with me, and we're going to both learn together who this lady is, what her testimony is, and how she perseveres. Because I tell you, I'm quite curious. Let's go on this journey. Persevering is what can allow you to overcome. But you have to find joy in the pain that you live with. It's not going to be easy. But the reward and the character that you will build in persevering through your challenges will be so rewarding. It will give you so much hope. Are you ready? To persevere through your challenges, let's do this. Welcome to the Perseverance Podcast, Patrice. Hey, Kelvin. It's good to hear from you again. I'm, I'm so glad we're able to do this because we got so many great ideas, but we're like, we first need to introduce you to my audience. Okay. And learn your story. So what was your childhood like? I had an amazing childhood, actually. I was one of five kids, grew up most of my life in San Jose, California, not born there, but grew up there. Big, noisy family, the second of five. Yeah, just enjoying life, growing up as a kid in the 60s and 70s and having a great time with two great parents and four crazy siblings. Uh, went to the Catholic Church as a young kid. It was all pretty chill. It was what I call West Coast Catholic. We we're pretty chill about it and mm. just had a great time growing up was born in 1957, so my time growing up was easy. As people say, it was easy peasy. As you grew up, you became 18. Tell us that journey. My family had moved us back up to Montana, where it's my home state. Finished high school up there, started college, decided I didn't want to be a nurse. So I became engaged to someone that I met down in California. We'd known each other for at least a good four years. And it was like, yeah, well, we're not going to, I'm not going to go to college anymore. So we might as well get married. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. This is like 1975 when you just kind of roll with it, right? And having such a great childhood and a great growing up, I figured like this is what life is going to be, right? Everybody else in my family, that's what we do. And it was that way for a number of years. Moved to Pocatello, Idaho, because it was between family from California, Montana. So you get the idea that I'm just kind of rolling through life. I'm not really concerned yeah. about the decisions I'm making. Led to four years living in Milwaukee, and two of my first daughters were born there. Came back out west, found jobs in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And I thought we're settled into our life, right? This is what we're going to do. We're just going to have kids. It's going to be great. <laughs> Got surprised by a set of twin daughters in mm -hmm. 1983. So by the time I'm 25, 26 years old, I'm 
married. I've got four kids. I'm doing different jobs, some bumps along the way. But in that journey is when my faith really deepened, becoming a mom, discovering church again. My then husband didn't want to kind of come to church, but he was cool with that. So I'm just deepening my faith, raising my kids, made the decision in 1991 to go back to school with my husband's blessing, back to community college there in Idaho. And things started getting rough. I could tell the relationship was changing and things got pretty difficult to the point where I felt like I was doing it on my own. And then we had kind of the showdown talk. This is the middle of me going to college as a grown adult in my 30s. And I was told, well, guess what? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be married. This was a mistake. So after 15 years and four kids and I'm in the middle of college, it's like, well, I'm done. Goodbye. And fortunately, I had a really strong family. I had a strong community of faith. I also had in-laws that were Mm -hmm. lovely about the kids. So I had four daughters. So in 1993, they were 14, 12, 10, and 10 when Mm -hmm. I was a single mom. Like I said, trying to finish college. That was a radical shift from what I thought my degree was going to be in to an education degree. Three years after community college, I graduated from Gonzaga University, which is a private Jesuit college. God totally provided the opportunity to get my degree at an amazing institution at a discount. They had a particular program there. So I got my ed and special ed degree through all that being a single mom, cars that didn't want to work, plumbing that didn't want to work, things breaking down, just living in a small town and raising my kids. That's kind of the short version of all that. And in 1997, through the glory of God and support from folks, I graduated with my degree from Gonzaga University in education and special education. Right when I'm born. Yeah, right when you're born. Through this whole time when I didn't know what I was going to do, I remember pushing my grocery cart by myself at our little grocery store thing, and God, what do I do? What do I do? And he said, just focus on your kids. I could hear a clear, audible voice. And Mm -hmm. that was my beacon through all the changes from what am I going to get my degree in? Where am I going to go to school? Do I stay in Idaho? Do I move back Mm -hmm. home with my family in Montana? Do I go to California where my in-laws are at? What do I do? They came up to Spokane, so that was I wasn't going anywhere that way. So through that whole thing, I'm just kind of putting my family first, my faith first, because what else was I going to do? really was by the grace of God, because you go through those times when you're driving home and you just pull off the side of the road and fall apart, put yourself back together again and continue on. I get this degree, and now what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Well, I get a call from the community college that says, hey, would you come work here? And I think, like, doing what? They said, teaching math. It's like, what kind of math? I'm not excited about lots of maths. And I said, yes. And I just kept saying yes to opportunities Mm -hmm. that God provided to earn a living, support my kids, and come into this job of technology and disabilities that I've had for 26 years. It has been a complete miracle of God that I've had this amazing opportunity and this accidental career, which brought me to meeting you, Kelvin. But the whole way through, I think, Being raised in a family where faith was important, but not super explicit, but yeah, we all believe in God, this is the faith. Finding God again in my 20s, especially after I was married, and then going through the difficulty of all that, becoming a single parent, trying to finish college, and getting job opportunities that God just kept providing. And since then, it's just been this amazing journey of meeting amazing people Mm -hmm. and using talents that I didn't even know I had, but God knew I had. 
we're going to dive into this a little bit more because your story has its own set of challenges of perseverance. And I want those who are our parents right now, who are going through the journey of your husband or your wife, I'm just done. And I want to dive a little bit more into that. Can you tell me, before that all started happening, were there signs that you were starting to see? What made you want to go closer to God? Because you don't just do that unless there's something that happened in your life. And I would say that when you're sort of faced with something where you don't have a choice and it's a cataclysmic change to your life, you have to have wise counsel. You have to have people in your life that will direct you back to God and say, okay, we're going to pray about it. We're going we're to see what the Bible says about it. Mm-hmm. And how do you as a person of faith go through this and be honorable and fair mm-hmm. and not become embittered and angry to the detriment of everyone, because you yeah. want to lash out at the person who's causing this pain. You know, you're having a conversation like, how are we going to work through this? Mm-hmm. And you're told we're not going to work through this. This is what you've been told you're going to get. And I felt like I had to just sort of stop and listen. And I found good counsel, a couple that have been my dearest friends forever. They were older and had been through difficulties. And we talked about, okay, what does this mean? We're going to go into scripture. We're going to pray and having to tell my parents that this was going to happen and then Mm -hmm. saying, okay, I think you make a decision. I will tell you that you keep things super simple and you say, Mm -hmm. okay, what is my highest priority? Well, it's God first and family second. And you're telling yourself this every day, all day long. Every time you're faced with a decision or you're faced with a barrier, you have to stop and you have to say, I have to pray about this. I have to open your Bible, open it to some kind of scripture. And then you need to have at least one or two people that you know you can count on to talk to that will Mm -hmm. give you the straight scoop. They're not going to let you wallow in self-pity. They're not going to let you talk about doing harm to those that are harming you. You know, you want to go down those dark roads. They're going to be loving, but they're going to be firm. And they're solid in their faith because they've persevered, Mm -hmm, because you mm -hmm. know their story of perseverance and you can trust it. And again, you find out those two things I have to do. I have to provide food and shelter to my children and we have to have a way to have money coming in. So how is that going to happen? And you strip it down to the bare bones. And then you look in the Bible and the dictionary and you find the definition for perseverance in a very old dictionary that says that perseverance is continuing in a state of grace until succeeded by a state of glory. Exactly. And you find out who you really are. You find out what you're made out of, and you don't even know how much you can endure. Mm-hmm. And some days you're not sure. Like there's those days, like I said, you're driving home and you pull off to the side of the road on a quiet little road. I know it sounds cheesy, but it's true. You literally fall apart and let God put you back together again. Yeah. I'm going to take a deep breath and go, okay, we're going to make it through one more day or one more Mm -hmm. afternoon or one more moment. I've interviewed a lot of people for the Perseverance podcast, and it was amazing when you and I first met. I've seen you around the disability community for years, but we we never talked. I've always known you were there. We started talking, and the Holy Spirit did some amazing stuff in our conversation. So... What I want to dive into next is you had to make a decision and teach special education and help in special education. That's not something you do because, oh, I just need a degree. 
So when I went back to college, I'd always loved the sciences, right? Because I was going to become a nurse and yeah, I didn't want to be a nurse. And so I'm taking these science classes. And I had this one professor and his name was Dave and he was my biology instructor and he was amazing. And he was a Christian. This was so key. He was a Christian, good, solid guy. And I said, you know, Dave, what am I going to do? I can't get a science degree in four years and have a job. That's like a master's degree at least, right? And he said, you know, he goes, I've watched you in my classes and I've talked to the person you work for in the chemistry prep room, Roberta, and we all agree that you need to be in education. I said, okay. So there was this intro to education class at the community college. And I said, all right, we're, we're going to take a look at this. And, and God led me to that. And I'm taking it while I'm finishing up like organic chemistry and, and Calc 1, which was horrific for me. I find it through. I passed. But I'm looking at this whole new world. They send you out to a third grade classroom to observe. Mm -hmm. And I hit the classroom and there was this amazing teacher there, Gail Ballard. I'll never forget her. She was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I was hooked. I said, this is what I want to do. Now, here's the part about the special education piece, right? So I'm in my little teacher class. This lady's coming from the district and she's talking about special education and she's talking and she's talking and me and my direct way, I asked her afterwards, I said, okay, got to bottom line this for me. I said, so what you're telling me is that I'm going to be in a regular education classroom and I'm going to get all kinds of students. We've already established that. And I'm going to be responsible for these students that have special needs, even though they're not going to teach me much about it. This is what you're telling me, right? She mm -hmm. goes, yes. I said, fine. I got to get prepared. I'm not going to do this unprepared. So I started asking around. And of course, as God would provide, there was a person, a math teacher, not my math teacher, who knew a lot of stuff. And she happened to be a Catholic nun. And uh -huh. she happened to know about Gonzaga University. And she said, oh, man, they are legit the best in the Northwest for special education. And they've got this program for non-traditional students to give you 40, 50 percent cut on your tuition. Wow. I'm like, yeah. And so I applied and I was accepted. And at that time, they had this amazing way of just guiding you through. So I did two student teachings, one for regular ed sixth grade, one for special ed in the junior high. And so I came out of there looking for a job, but I came out very well prepared as an educator. Kelvin, I cannot tell you how many hours I spent in different classrooms, different settings, mm -hmm. different levels, even an inpatient hospital setting for inpatient students mm -hmm. with mental health issues. So when the community college called and said, would you like to come back and teach math? I'm like, okay, what math are we talking here? They said, algebra. I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. I'm, I busted my head against that. I'm good at algebra. That was all part-time, right? Well, then somebody said, well, would you set up a peer tutoring program? Could you develop a peer mentoring program for a different department? Could you teach a different kind of math? And in the midst of that, my second year there, I'd already had a blind student in my math class. The second fall I'm there, I meet someone who's running the disabilities office for the first time. And she says, you're Patrice. I heard you know stuff. I said, hey, what do you want to know? She says, what do you know about a Braille printer? It's like, well, it's a printer. How hard could it be, Calvin? It's just a printer. <laughs> and I said yes to that. I kept saying yes. God kept giving me opportunities. I kept saying yes. I'd even had opportunity to present at a conference as a part-time person, and I kept saying yes. So when I said yes to the Braille printer, that launched me in the direction of technology and disabilities. Mm -hmm. But I'm taking with me all my education background, right? 
And I stayed in higher ed ever since. Now, I did teach them some K through 12, some junior high and high school stuff. But basically, I just kept saying yes. And then I was looking at the CSUN conference, the assistive tech conference, to come in 2008. And there was a job opening. I saw that in December of 2007. God was leading me into a change in my life for lots of reasons at work. Mm -hmm. And so I applied in December of 2007. And by April of 2008, I was working at Cal State Northridge, an institution that is 10 times the size of the one I was working at. Mm -hmm. And I had family in California, so I made the big move, and that's how I got here. By the time this all happened, well, how old were your kids at this point? That's a really good question. So when I graduated in 1997, okay, my kids were 18, 16, 14, and 14. They've all made very wise choices in the years since. Nobody got married super young. Everybody made wise choices. They're all settled. So this year, my girls are all in their 40s. So uh-huh. I was a young mom. Just one of those things that happened to me and my generation. We all kind of got started young. So by the time I graduated college, my kids were getting ready to leave the house for teenagers. And so when I left Idaho for California, they were all grown, kind of out on their own. They were all very good at being out on their own. They're amazing young women. I couldn't have asked her for better kids to be raising as a single mom. They were amazing people. (laughs) They still are. And now they're all grown with, you know, families and I have grandkids. And I will tell you, I told my kids, look, there's three things we need to be very, very clear on. If we're going to be five women living in one house with three bedrooms and one bath, or number one, everyone finishes high school. Number two, the police never call my home. Because if the police don't call my home, either you didn't do anything stupid And number three, no one gets pregnant while we're all living here together. If we need to go back over and have a conversation, mother to daughter about those things, we can, but let's just be clear. So I'm like, I'm like a bottom line kind of person. I give me three to five. I can remember those, right? And we still chuckle about that. Everybody followed the rules. So basically you moved to California in Finester. Yes, I did. There's also another transition, because this is where it gets really interesting to everybody. So, when you were raising your girls, you raised your girls in the Nazarene church. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. tell us about what led you to the Nazarene church. I was aware of the Nazarene church when I was in college in the 70s in Helena. One of my younger brothers was going there, and it was great. Because I was raised Catholic, the Nazarene church was very structured. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, we got this, a lot of the same hymns. We're good to go. Again, God was leading me to a a different experience, a deeper experience, a deeper Mm -hmm. walk, which really prepared me to handle the difficulties that were going to happen. So... Mm -hmm. Raised the girls in the Church of the Nazarene, very happily so, because, of course, by the time I actually was introduced to it in college, when I was living in Milwaukee, we lived in a little suburb called South Milwaukee, when my second daughter was born, and the people we rented from, they're telling us about Church of the Nazarene. So I started going to the Church of the Nazarene. And, of course, at some point, we were trying to decide if we're going to stay in Wisconsin and move back home to family. And I think God was preparing me for this eventual thing of having to be on my own and being by closer to family and establishing myself there would be mm-hmm. easier. So I remember these little old ladies. Now, they're probably like my age, little old ladies, because I'm in my <laughs> 60s. But these little old ladies were saying, you just got to pray to the Lord, and he's going to show you where you should move or stay. They were like so confident. Well, I did. I remember going to a phone booth and calling one of them afterward. And so we made the decision and we moved to Idaho. And I sent a letter ahead 
to the Church of the Nazarene in Coeur Idaho and to the pastor, Pastor Hunter at the time. And I said, I'm coming. Because that's what the little old ladies told me to do. So I did what they said. <laughs> Calvin, I did what the little old ladies told me. In 1982, we landed in Idaho and we found an apartment. So I had all these little kids, but the Church of the Nazarene there in Coeur d'Alene and then eventually Post Falls, which was a neighboring community, they were my community. They were my folks for a long, long time. And I've got people in the northern Idaho area I've known for over 40 years. It was just an amazing time of learning and being taught and being mentored and guided and shepherded in my faith and deepening it so I could be mature. Meeting you in March at CSUN, I knew of you and knew about you, all that stuff just in general. But actually for us to get to talk, it was a moment I think will be forever ingrained in my mind when I'm presenting a tool, like giving a light to those that are lost. Yes. And protecting them from the dangers of the world. Yes. But now you're coming up to me and we're having this amazing conversation. <laughs> and my dad introduces me to you. At this point, the last time I saw you was in San Diego. Yeah. And I still had enough vision to travel by myself. But this time, I can't see you. Right. And my dad says something very specific to me. He goes, we're men of faith. And just to tease everybody, you got to tell us, when you came from Idaho, went to CSUN University, did you go to the Nazarene Church? I didn't. My brother and his wife were going to this little church, and my daughter was going to his church in Simi Valley. And there had been some circumstances that God was telling me there was going to be a bit of a shift here. And we will get into what I look like because that kind of figures into this. It goes back a number of years. But I had been invited back in the day to an Orthodox church, Christian Orthodox Church in Idaho. It was a defining moment for me. So I come to California and I moved to Camarillo and there is a Greek Orthodox church here, a very small one. And every Greek church seems to have a Greek festival. They almost always have a festival of some kind. So I went to the festival and it, at that time was at this little church and I started to come and I started to study and I started to look at everything. And I knew when I'd gone to that couple of services in Idaho and then coming back to it again in California, I thought, this is where I'm going to land. This is where God has me coming to for some really specific reasons. I never left anything. I brought with me my total experiences growing up as a Catholic kid. And then a young adult through a mature adult into the Church of the Nazarene. And then coming into this faith tradition of Orthodox Christianity, it has all come full circle. Everything has been an amazing journey and has enriched my life and informed me to the point that I am so thankful for it because I met so many amazing people and listened to their stories of faith. And for me, it has been amazing because a long time ago, probably about 30 years ago, God laid it on my heart, this idea of God, Christ, man, and woman. First Corinthians 11 talks about the headship and is laying it on our heart. What does it mean to be a godly woman? Proverbs 31, all this. And we're looking at this idea of headship and covering. Now, growing up as a Catholic kid, a woman didn't go to church without a covering on her head. And some Protestant traditions, that is still very true. You don't wear a hat if you're a man and you do if you're a woman. We came across a covering that's very similar to the Amish Mennonite. So much so that I get asked all the time if I'm Amish or Mennonite. Then mm -hmm. I have technology with me and they know I'm not Amish. So God laid it on our hearts to cover. 
and wear a covering full time. Little white cap, and I wear it all the time. It's really a reminder of God's faith in my life, where he's taken me, and the fact that I want to truly represent him, even at times when I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job of it. And it's interesting because I was told a number of years ago, before I ever came to CSUN, that if I continued to wear a covering, I would never get a job, a decent job. Of course, you know, me being stubborn, I'm like, yeah, I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to God. Mm -hmm. And God has brought me through it. And when I came to interview in person at CSUN, it's a huge university. Ironically, of course, it's very diverse. They weren't the least bit concerned. Mm -hmm. And when I started wearing my covering in North Idaho College, nobody seemed to want to say anything too much. Sometimes they would ask me about it. But mm -hmm. I think God just said, this is what you're going to do. And, and when I came to the Orthodox Church, I talked to Father Gary Kiriakou, who was our priest at the time. And he said, you know, if God has laid this on your heart, you got to be obedient because women in the Orthodox Church can choose to cover if they want, different, whatever they want to do. He said, no, this is definitely legit. So through this whole journey, God hasn't taken anything away. Mm -hmm. He's just added on more blessings, more opportunities, like meeting people like you, Kelvin, and your mm -hmm. dad, and your story, and just amazing conversations, and a chance to just encourage people, right? Yep. And bring that light to them however we can, and really staying super, super humble. I would say my covering has given me the opportunity to have many amazing conversations about faith with people. It gives them a chance to ask a question, and sometimes my answer is super short, and sometimes it's a little bit longer based on the questions they have for me. I let them lead the conversation. What is so awesome about it is, for me, attending the CSUN conference with the Simi Kane, you couldn't ask me, how did you develop this cane? How did you pay for this cane without <laughs> experiencing Christ? Because the whole story of Simi Kane and Deathline Potter is all related because I can't see and hear but I can see and hear spiritually. I decided to go down that path, allow people to see my suffering and my pain. It generated money to be able to build a semi cane. Am I making any money right now? No. no. I'm selling product, <laughs> but I'm still, still not making any money. As we sit here, we're realizing, what are, how are we going to work together? Right. How are you going to further your ministry how am I going to further my ministry? And how can we use both of our strengths to further God's kingdom and continue to persevere? Amen. I was going to say, because the part I left out was when I came to CSUN, my boss, our director, has always been a very strong Christian. That wasn't a previous person, but that's this mm -hmm. person. And there's a time when you're in a situation where you feel like there's a constraint. Yep. What is your, going to be your next move? And I think this is it, because one of the things I was thinking about was that you're not making any money, right? But your yep. wife is so proud of you, because wasn't there something in Jeremiah? Wasn't he told to go like buy some property? And I don't remember all the Jeremiah story, but I remember about buying something in a war-torn area. He's buying like property yep. in the middle of a war, right? Well, I'm going to be straight up. What's fascinating to me is you and I are in the mix of woke but we don't follow that principle 
We don't worship that religion. We follow the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we allow that to be our light in this woke community. Where everybody's saying, no, 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 you can't do that. No, 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 you can't be a Christian. No, 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 you won't accept me because you're a Christian. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do in the light of the Holy Spirit inside you. Because you can see my light. They can see your light. And let's just be honest. Every animal, every insect, every creature on this planet, they're naturally drawn to light. To me, hearing your story, you having the head covering for many, many years, that's all (laughs) I've known. And what's incredible, spiritually in my life, if I were to talk to you prior, we wouldn't have this relationship. It was because of March 2018 when I started changing my life to start really purposing my daily walk with Christ. To continue to persevere. And then when 2020 came, I lost all my funding for CME came. I lose the clarity in my right eye. And my foster son runs away. And we have no funds. But right before the end of the year, God provides the deaf-blind potter. Makes me go viral and changing lives. But let's be clear here. God started working in me in 2018. Spiritually, to start working so that when 2020 came, I could be able to minister to those that were struggling with suicide, struggling with just their own struggles that they were dealing with. I mean, we talk about my engineer, Angie. She has struggled for so many years with her chronic pain. Oh, But because yeah. she saw my video, she was like, if he can do it, why can't I? And now we're amazing friends, and we're changing lives. It is important. Persevering is a daily discipline, a daily practice. And it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit, God himself, and his son. Because truly, that relationship will give you power, it will give you strength, and it will give you so much love that you could never, ever, ever imagine. So... Patrice, I want to thank you for being on the Perseverance Podcast. You're welcome. Here comes the Perseverance Corner. This is Mark 8:34. He called the multitude to himself with his disciples and said to them, Whoever wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Just like we looked at Patrice, she picked up her cross every time something was hard. Every time something changed, every time something wasn't easy, but because she picked up her cross and dealt with the pain and the struggles and got to the bottom of it, God allowed her to persevere through the challenges. Because there's so much gain when you say, I'm going to become a believer of Christ. But you have to remember, you will face lots of suffering because you are a believer of Christ. Because it goes against the grain of what we as humans live our life with. 
The world tells us to live one way, but when you pick up your cross, you're saying, yes, I'm going to live for Christ, and I'm going to carry the cross and deal with the suffering and the pain that are going to come through in my life. And I'm going to find joy in the process. I'm going to persevere and build a character that has hope in Christ. Romans 5, 3, 4. She had to go through a series of journey. Everything was good in childhood. But when she became an adult and a mother, things got challenging. But because she chose to pick up her cross, there were people there for her. To help carry her cross. So that the pain wasn't too difficult. This doesn't mean that you have to carry your cross by yourself. But what it does mean, you have to be willing to pick up your cross to persevere through your challenges. So here are the announcements. When this podcast comes out, I'll just be coming back home from Colorado after doing my massive Simi Kane Death Flying Potter event in Colorado trying to raise $200,000 for the Simi Kane, the Lighted Blind Kane. If you're brand new to this podcast, people don't realize that I'm a man that has three different hats. I run this podcast, I'm known as the Death Blind Potter, and I'm the inventor of the Simi Kane, the Lighted Blind Kane. And on this trip to Colorado, I'm going to be sharing my story to the people that live in northern Colorado on the east side of Colorado. And I'm going to be going through the town, throwing on a potter wheel, showing them a story how God persevered through my life, and giving them the opportunity to help those with visual impairment persevere through their lives by donating to the seeming cane, campaign so we can give away 1,000 semi canes and I would encourage you today to help me make this possible because we're doing another 1,000 semi cane fundraiser where we give a 1,000 semi canes to anybody in the United States that can't afford a semi cane and you can go to semicane.com and that will take you to where you can donate, and that way we can give away a thousand Simi Kane. Because the Simi Kane are not cheap. But we want to make it available for everybody and give somebody access that's visually impaired to travel fully independently. And so we can also work on lowering the statistic that one of every three blind people get hit by a car. Did you know that's 87 million visually impaired people that get hit by, by a car? So like I always say, go live beyond your challenges, and I'll see you in two weeks. Now you're ready to persevere for your challenges today. Thank you for joining me on the Persevering Podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at kelvin at perseveringpodcast.com. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Deaf Blind Potter. If you like to buy some merch or some Deaf Blind Potter pieces, you can go to DeafBlindPotter.com. Please give us a five star rating and subscribe to the Persevering Podcast so you don't miss an episode. That way, you and I can continue living beyond our challenges and persevering through them too.